Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, we're here in Atlanta, Georgia, in an airport hotel, before one of our live shows recording our not live show. That's right. We're here. We're doing a Dear Hank and John in person, which is always our best episodes, but also, full disclosure, sometimes our worst episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta, you know, they make people wear business suits here, but it's so hot, I think it's just unsuitable. Oh, God. For that. Yeah, it is. By the way, if you can hear airplanes in the background, imagine what it would be like to sleep here. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's great. It's great. This is one of the top seven airport hotels in Atlanta. And it's very close to the Circle K, which I just had to jog to to get batteries and a Diet Dr. Pepper from my prima donna brother. For the record, I said, can you get me some kind of diet soda and then listed my favorites in order, (laughs) beginning with Diet Dr. Pepper and ending finally four minutes later with the new bad diet cherry Pepsi. Oh, the new bad diet cherry Pepsi. That's what they call it. They used to make Hank. And I, you know, I'm a little nostalgic for the old days when my life wasn't made out of dongles, but it used to be (laughs) that they made this wild cherry diet Pepsi Uh that was amazing. And now they make a new flavor of Wild Cherry Diet Pepsi that tastes like Robitussin. It's called the Bad New Diet Cherry Pepsi. (laughs) I wouldn't know, John, because I find all diet drinks uh, to be immoral. Oh, I completely agree. (laughs) Absolutely. I have no defense. When I go to reckon with St. Peter, he will have many questions for me. Yes. But the one that will end up having me... Sent to the bad place will be... (laughs) All the plastic bottles. I mean, everything involved in the production of diet soda. Anyway, thanks to our sponsor, (laughs) Diet Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Yeah. John, you're really not angling for that Diet Dr. Pepper sponsorship the way that you used to. In the way that I expect you to. You know, as I get older, I find that I don't really want to be a corporate shill when I grow up. It's a good call. 
I appreciate that. Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners. Okay. Beginning with this question from Lily, who writes, On Christmas, I broke both of my feet oh, and gosh. since had one surgery and have to have at least one more. I'm going to be in a wheelchair for a couple months and I won't be able to drive. What hobbies should I take up to keep from driving myself crazy? It's good. It's good. It's also good to not tell everybody how you broke both your feet on Christmas morning in a definitely hoverboard-related accident. So true. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's so many different ways, actually. Trampolines, just a new dog underfoot. Mm. Uh, Christmas morning is top-tier time for broken feet. And also for cutting yourself with scissors, trying to get those annoying packages open. I recommend reading, ideally mm. reading my books, but also books by other people, if that's your jam. Mm -hmm. I also, I, it occurred to me while reading this question that almost all of my hobbies are sedentary. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my favorite sedentary hobbies include all of my work. Yeah, Hank doesn't have any hobbies, and he also, like, doesn't know what a hobby is. This is the thing. I don't, you're not on Twitter, so you don't know about it, but there's a whole, there's a whole conversation going on right now about how we've been robbed of hobbies by the sort of uh, productivity mythology and also by the economic circumstances of the 21st century. Right, where every hobby has to become a side hustle. Right. Mom once said to me while we were walking through a national park, she said, Hank, why don't you ever draw anymore? And I said, I just found it difficult to monetize. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, I'm a big fan of unmonetizable hobbies. I think they're, they're, they can be quite good for you. Look, it, look, some people have to work 80 hours a week, and if you have to, you have to, but... If you can find time to have hobbies, they're really valuable because they can be a pathway to community mm -hmm. and also because they can be a pathway to joy. Right. And you can't have your only identities be the things that you do professionally. Right. Well, I think especially because it becomes very easy to tie the sort of like value of those identities to the amount of money they generate. Yeah. And and so if you if all of your identities are about generating money, then you only have this sort of one way of measuring how much you matter in the world. Oh, and, and also how much other people matter yeah, in the world. So it uh -huh. ends up kind of distorting your worldview about other people, not just about you. Absolutely. And, and, and that's part of what disturbs yep. me about that like worship of this one measure of success mm -hmm. and yep. it doesn't matter if you've had nine marriages right and you've trampled on a lot of people's lives and you're miserable yeah because you achieved the only metric that matters according to the marketplace but like that's a bad bad way to live your life i know people who've done it that way and mm -hmm. it's not good you can also be a bad person and still feel happy. You can also have trampled on a lot of people and like have all this satisfaction and be like, you know, but I measured my life this way and the society is telling me to measure it that way. And so I feel validated in that. And it yeah. doesn't really matter how many people I paid absolute minimum wage along the way. That's definitely true. Anyway, Lily, sorry about your feet. <laughs> yeah. Podcasts are very good, but obviously you're already a fan of the best one. Couldn't keep a straight face. How did you even get through that sentence? <laughs> there are so many good podcasts. Uh, and maybe do some Duolingo. Pick up a language. Listen to the Anthropocene Reviewed. It's also a very good podcast. Thanks. John, do you want to hear another somewhat serious question? No, I want to move on to something silly and stupid. Okay. Like this one from Betsy. Okay. 
Dear John and Hank, longtime fan of the pod, in your next life, what would you like to come back as? A human, a giant squid, an extraterrestrial disguised as a human? Mm. I'd like to come back as a bumblebee, Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Being a being an insect is nice because it's sort of like if you don't like it, eh, it's like two months. It's like two it's like it's like that job you had after after high school. Yeah, and plus then you've just got insect knocked out, right? Like you've taken care of it. So you just I think different insect lives are very different. Okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of diversity in the possibly the most of any group of organisms. I mean insects. There's the tiger beetle. Tiger beetles can run faster than any animal as compared to their body size. They're they're just like lightning fast. They look like they take the world on in a in a very frenetic manner. I may do a bizarre beasts on them. They're really wonderful. I like the idea of coming back as a fruit fly. Mm-hmm. Because they're so important to our understanding of the universe. And I would feel so like be a research fruit fly specifically. Yeah, I feel like I'd be contributing something. And plus <laughs> it would only it would only be two weeks. Yeah. I think that the most interesting organism on Earth, and I know that this is controversial these days, is humans. We are pretty cool. I, I well, think we are amazing. Here's the thing though. She said alien and human body. So yeah. apparently we can go like universal with this i don't want to i would love to in my next life be on another planet not me i love earth i like earth too but there's so many planets i'm not saying mars i'm not saying i certainly don't want to come back as some kind of venus life form though i imagine for them it wouldn't be that bad but i want to be in another solar system nothing saying that that my whatever energy can't go everywhere like if we're if we're getting into the energy it's just energy i could and by law like law of averages you probably will Right. So I just prob- most of the organisms probably aren't on Earth. Yeah, I just want to take this opportunity though, because I know that the you know supreme being that organizes these things is a listener of the pod. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity to say that I would like my soul to remain Earthbound. Okay. Like, I wish you luck <laughs> on your travels through the universe. I would like to be Carl. This next question comes from, from Sam, who says, uh, Dear Hank and John, I'm a geography teacher at a public high school. I really like being in the classroom because I get to do meaningful work, and I genuinely feel like uh, it's helping make the world a better place. People always had really high expectations for me because I was a really good student, and I've had multiple people express disappointment that I'm, quote, just a teacher. Ah! Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. I think it's impossible not to feel the weight of outside expectations. Yeah. But the thing you have to remember is that the conscience of the social order, to borrow a phrase from Mark Twain, is demented. Like there is something wrong with a world that doesn't value Mm. teachers and think of teaching as a incredibly important profession Mm-hmm. full of meaning and sacrifice and all the things that that we want to lift up about the human spirit. Yeah. And so the problem is not with you. The problem is with the society that is informing the opinions of the people who are saying those things to you. Yeah. You know, for a long time, there was this thing among people who did what we do, who were internet creators, where there was a uh, this sort of chip on the shoulder about like, you know, your grandma doesn't care about your job and doesn't think it's real. And like, you can't explain to them. You have to sort of say like, you know, if you write for a blog, you just say you write for a magazine and that sort of like makes them believe that you have a real job. And there's a there's a hurt to that. There's a frustration to that. And, and we can't separate our beliefs 
about these things from other people's beliefs, especially the people that we care about. We should try, we should do our best, and we should we should find our own meaning, but it's always going to be informed by those people, and that's always going to be something that we're working through and, and frustrated by. So I, I think it's absolutely real to feel frustrated by this, but the only way we can deal with it, of course, is to, to understand the true value of our work and to find other people who appreciate that. So, you know, it's if, if it's your family, like you don't like get rid of your family over it or anything, but do find the other people who who understand the value that you're producing in the world. Yeah, the version of this in my life is that for a long time, people have asked me when I was going to try to write a, a real book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have asked me that in my family. People, Lots of people have asked me that in Q&As. Yeah. <laughs> And the idea, Some literature, John. Yeah, the idea is that writing books for teenagers isn't real writing. Yeah, and and I do feel frustrated about that sometimes, and it and it has gotten to me in the past. But somebody told me something once. Another YA writer told me once that there is also freedom in that. There's also freedom in not having those people paying attention to mm-hmm. your work. Like mm-hmm. you get to know that you're doing good work. Mm-hmm. And it's not about them. Yeah. So find the value in what you're doing for the, those kids, and find the value in what you're doing for society in general. Because what world we would we live in? There is no profession in America that adds more to the value of our economy than teachers. Because I, we have nothing without them. I would agree with you, Hank. But what about America's podcasters? <laughs> The real heroes. The, 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 the true economic engine of America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hank. This question comes from Bree and Emily who write, Dear John and Hank, I'm currently sitting with my sister in one of those little sitting areas of our college, and we were eating lunch together a couple minutes ago when someone came up to me and used their fingers to take the cheese out of my lunchbox. They did not ask or communicate to me at all prior to this theft. My sister and I exchanged horrified looks but didn't say anything, and afterwards the burglar just sat down across from her and I. We don't know what to do. (laughs) Should I give her the rest of my lunch? Is she an elementary school bully? What is happening? We tried to keep this brief, Brie and Emily. Mm. All right, so listen up, Brie and Emily. You write, my sister and I exchanged horrified looks but did not say anything, and afterwards the burglar just sat down across from her and I. What you meant to write was from her and me. (laughs) Okay, so now we're correcting the grammar of the question before we... Okay, there's a new kind of podcast we're suddenly doing. Send us your questions and we will judge them. Yeah. But not on their merits, but only on their grammar. Other than that, I see no problem with this situation. (laughs) Just... It's, I mean, that I think there's a huge amount of merit to just taking your lunch and putting it down in front of that person and walking away. Just to say, clearly, you feel entitled to any old thing. I, I'm trying to, there, there are not a lot of situations in which this could have happened, right? So, like, if this person is a stranger. If they are a true stranger. Then they, they have some profound Mis- lack, of, lack yeah. of understanding of boundaries. Or it, or of, like, just c- culture in general. Mm-hmm. Like, like may- maybe a very different upbringing. Very different, yes. Very different. Um, or and- they think they know you and are petrified to have discovered that you're not who they thought you were. 
I mean, I've done a, I've done a version of that a couple times where like I tapped somebody on the shoulder and it turned out not to be sure. my yep. friend. Uh huh. Yeah, that happened to me once in college. I started giving Catherine a massage oh, and it turned out it was uh, Justin, yeah, my roommate, Justin. You that 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 I don't think I've ever done. What I what I definitely <laughs> haven't done is put my bare hands into someone else's lunchbox and pulled out the cheese I, and it turned out not to be my bud no. because I wouldn't do that to my bud. Well, I steal a bud's fry. I'll steal a bud's fry. No. I do. Okay, when I'm walking Hank, by a bud, I'll grab it off. I'll grab a fry. Okay, Hank, if you're walking past someone in a cafeteria mm-hmm. and and you think they are your friend, mm-hmm. you would reach from behind them and t- and grab a fry. I think I'd do that, like sneak the fry and come around the other side and sit down and be like, "Sup, Jay," and then eat the fry. It's that's a that's a playful a playful uh, incursion into a boundary. No, I mean not 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 it no, not for me. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> the surprise. I think I think your move might be to look at them and say, "I think that's a felony." <laughs> There's a whole book about someone moving my cheese, but not into their mouth. Someone moved my cheese into their digestive system, and that is inappropriate. I love that you get to go to college with your sister, though. That's wonderful. Do you really wish you'd gone to college with no, me? No, not so. at all. I didn't but, think so. But I'm glad that Brie and Emily have such a good relationship in a way that we did not. Yeah, fair enough. This next question comes from Liz, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm currently traveling in London, and my trip has been great so far. There's just one problem. I'm a college student, so finances necessitate staying in a hostel, and the guy asleep below me is snoring like a bear. Now, I know that social conventions forbid me from throwing something at him, but is there anything else I can do? Lizard dreams interrupted Liz. Cheese. You throw cheese at him, and then he can't complain because it's free cheese. Yeah. I... Cheese dreams, boy! That's what you say. Oh, that's weird. I have an actual tip, John. Okay. There are white noise apps on phones. Yeah. Now, you can't turn your white noise app on in the hostel because then people are listening to your white noise, and that seems weird. Right. But you can put headphones in with the white noise. Yeah. And I've been on tour with a bunch of snorry guys, and that is the only way I made it through. I had no... The world could end, and I wouldn't know. Well, that's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure that's going to help... Yeah. Help our listeners sleep. Well, look, if the world's going to end, I'd rather not know. <sighs> I think I would. Yeah. Well, of course you would. I'd, I I would want a little warning. Just to get your sort of mental affairs in order? No, just to like make a couple quick calls. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's time for calls. The world's ending. The cell phones are all jammed. The, the circuits are busy. Well, then I... Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, how... To what extent is it ending? Just sort of like cracks... From the center of the Earth's radiating out onto the core, the whole, the surface is going to be the inside now kind of world end. I'm going to want, if I have warning, to get my headphones in so I can listen to work by George Watsky as it happens. Because I think that, like, I could get myself in the right headspace <laughs> with the right playlist to just watch the world turn to magma. What's your, yeah, what's your apocalypse song? <laughs> yeah. Um, us, let us know what your apocalypse songs are, everybody. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely something by the Mountain Goats. It's probably, 
It's probably this year. Mm -hmm. You know, I probably want to be thinking <laughs> I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me uh -huh. as my last thought. Yeah. And it's I've like, it's going to kill me. Yeah. I've always thought that would be a great last thought. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I don't think it's going to end this way. First mm -hmm. off, I'm very hopeful about the course of our species. We're going to get it together. <laughs> we just need to st stay together. Mm -hmm. But if it is going to end, and at some point it will, hopefully in hundreds of thousands or millions of years, yes. I would like it to end all at once for everyone. I don't want a Kurt Vonnegut Cat's mm -hmm. Cradle situation where there's like 12 people left. Yeah, I mean, well, if the 12 people can make it, but they kind of can't, and that's the thing. What I what I don't want is to be the last person. Well, good news. That's phenomenally unlikely. The odds are bad. The yeah. odds are very bad. <laughs> not only because the odds are bad to start, but mm -hmm. also just because you're not the kind of specimen who's going to make it to the end. I mean... Correct. For a number of reasons. Yeah. But mostly a lack of preparation. Well, I mean, I also think, like, what's your fire building skill? Right. Not great. I can work it out. I would say that you're in the bottom 20% of global survival skills. Maybe, yeah. The unfortunate thing, of course, is that uh, it's not going to go that way. It's going to end, as T.S. Eliot so perfectly wrote, not with a bang, mm -hmm. but with a whimper. Yeah. I don't know how we got here. We were answering a question about snoring. Oh, right, because my headphones. White noise. You got to use the white noise. I solved your problem, and then we went down a rabbit hole. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Taylor, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was thinking the other day about spices. There's Italian seasoning, Asian seasoning, etc. Mm -hmm. What is Asian seasoning? I don't think there is Asian seasoning. <laughs> I don't think there is either. I think either. you may have made that up. Yeah. There's no, like, French season. There's basically... Is it just Italian seasoning? Yeah, and Italian seasoning is just a mix of, like, fairly common herbs. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, Italian seasoning was a made in America, for sure. Not only that, I think a lot of the herbs in Italian seasoning are actually foods from the Americas, so they didn't exist in Italy until, like, 500 years ago. Yeah. But anyway, Taylor's question is, is there an American seasoning? And if so, what does it taste like? And the answer, of course, is... Cool Ranch. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. Did it? There is, yeah. and it's the it's the thing that they sprinkle on Cool Ranch Doritos. Yeah, that is our flavor. We made that. That's it's our. Not the, it's not the only one, but it is the most us one. Yeah, there's also sour cream and onion. That feels very American. Barbecue, also all the things that go on chips. Yeah, all the chip, all the main chip flavors feel pretty American because. Well, I don't know they, if you know about us and fried things. Oh, and, and then you go to Europe or Asia or Africa, and they have entirely different chip flavors. Yeah, yeah. And all of their chips taste wrong. Yeah. they In Australia, the big one is chicken. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a chip. You can't say it. It tastes like chicken. No, just, I don't I don't want it to taste like chicken. There's shrimp ones, too, in yeah. lots of places. There's, And I'm just like, no. No, the bad part of the shrimp is the flavor. Oh, have I ever told you about the art performance that I went to when Sarah uh, and I first started dating? No. So when Sarah and I first started dating, she worked in an art gallery and there would be these art performances, you know, where like artists would, would come and they would like interact with the audience. And as you can imagine, Hank, I, my, my favorite wall 
is the fourth wall. Yeah. I love a fourth wall between a performance and me. Yes. And so a lot of times these artists would like mm-hmm. move inside the audience and maybe they would touch you or they'd get right in your face. And I liked Sarah so much. Mm-hmm. But this performance art made me so uncomfortable. But anyway, one time there was an artist there uh, who was handing out hard candies that were crab flavored. And and then what did you have to do with it? Did you have to eat it? He had he watched me while I put it in my mouth. Uh, and you know what it tasted like? Crab. It tasted like crab. Yeah. It tasted like crab, but it was a candy. But without all the like butter and good no, parts. No, it tasted like the like the worst parts of the ocean. <laughs> It tasted like the the last thing you taste when you drown in the sea. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by the worst parts of the ocean. The worst parts of the ocean. Somehow they got into the crab. <laughs> they really did, though. I'm, I'm not a big fan of crab in general, I yeah, have to say. I hear that. Today's podcast is also brought to you by your apocalypse song. Your apocalypse song... Uh, you know, just have it queued up on Spotify just, get just in case. Keep it ready. Keep it ready. This podcast is also brought to you by my brother John's earthbound soul. It is tied with a tether of energy. It cannot escape. It has been asked. We've asked the, the one who watches over to not let it go off to another planet where the skies are purple and the trees are red and everything is smells like flowers. Well, everything smells like flowers on Earth, too. Sometimes. It's a good planet. If we're asking things of the one who watches over all of us, I have some other asks. <laughs> a, yeah, this isn't my first number one or Yeah, I yeah, actually come to think of it, like I'd like to table the question of where my uh soul ends up in my next life and yeah. instead Just uh talk about universal health care, radical inequality <laughs> of opportunity and access to uh-huh. systems of power. Uh-huh. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway, today's podcast is also brought to you by Cheese. Cheese, don't steal it (laughs) for the love of God. Yeah, especially not with someone watching. That's not even stealing. That's bullying. (laughs) It's still stealing. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week. And it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and 
except more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. It's still stealing, but it's also bullying. <laughs> All right, Hank, we got another question. This one comes from Justin, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when someone sends me a Christmas card that is just a picture of their family with a holiday-themed border, how long am I obligated to keep that mm-hmm. card? And what do I do with it until then, Justin? I mean, you're not obligated to keep it for any amount of time. It is okay, and I do this sometimes, to look at the card and then look at the back of the card. John's looking at me like he's upset but and then and then put it into the recycling oh i was just looking at you like i was upset because i don't think it's necessary to look at the back of the card <laughs> now i only do that for i do that for some honestly if i get i get them from weird people who like i know peripherally yeah but the families that are part of my life we we have an area during the christmas season where we put them yeah and then after that sometimes they go to the fridge mm-hmm. and and they a number of them will hang out all year round until they get replaced. Which reminds me the, of the time when I was in maybe like a sophomore in college and I went to visit our nanny and papa <laughs> in Birmingham. You yeah. know this story. Yeah. And on the fridge were all 13 grandchildren, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like looking yeah. and looking. Yeah. Somewhere on like, there. There's Braxton. Yeah. There's Sanders. Yeah. Uh, boy, there's yeah. like six of Hank. <laughs> this next question comes from Catherine, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I don't know if you all have any experience in this realm, but I just had a bad performance. My pitch was off. I totally cracked on one of the high notes that I was supposed to belt. Afterward, everyone said I did such a great job, and it just felt like everyone was lying to me to make me feel better, which only made me feel worse. How do you guys deal with your brain replaying a horrible moment over and over again, and how do you deal with flattery that makes you feel like garbage? In an, an awkward abundance of Catherine. Well, I have had a similar singing performance. In fact, it's the only kind of singing performance I've ever had. Uh, what do I don't know? But do I know about this? Every time I sing on stage, I miss the notes. Oh, sure, yes, but you're not expected to hit them yeah. at this point. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess I, I've I've had a lot of nights like this though, where I walked off stage yeah, and, and I felt was like, like I really shouldn't have said uh, that. I I you know that's I might what have hurt somebody's is. feelings yeah. or. Like, or like I really ruined that joke or right. I really missed an opportunity or... In fact, know, I, almost every night yeah. I walk off stage and think like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And I, I replay it over and over and over again yep. with worry. I think that is normal because mm-hmm. you're in a high stress environment. It's also possible that like you felt really pitchy and you weren't as pitchy as you felt. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like I had a disastrous show. And and no one noticed. Or people in the audience had a great time because really a lot of their fun is not dependent upon my performance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think and always remember that like the things that matter to us, we're going to have moments. We, where we don't get to the point we wanted to get to. And that's like, that's okay. It's part of having something that matters to you and having that like 
sit on you and having you worry about it, that's a symptom of it, it mattering. And you don't want to eliminate that because the only way to really get rid of that worry is to have it stop mattering. And, yeah. and things mattering is the most important part of being a person. As for how to handle it when you know somebody is telling you that you did great when you know you didn't do great, there's three possibilities here. One is that they didn't notice like they really do think you did good because they don't have the same understanding of your craft that you do where like you don't really understand how much you know about what you're doing and, and it can really it can really sound good to an audience of people who are not musicians when even if it's not like up to your par it could also be that they're just being nice and it's okay to just sort of let this convention be and accept that your your friends and family just want you to feel good about you know, the thing that you really want to be good at. Now, if you have somebody that you can be really honest with and like sort of talk constructively about your craft with, that's really wonderful. And and you should do your best to find people like that. But your sort of like support uh, structure of people who don't have a good understanding of, you know, the challenges that go into performance aren't the people you want to look to for that kind of criticism or, or sort of critique. Yeah, exactly. I think it's about the nature of the relationship. Yeah. So early on in my writing life, I had many events that were attended by fewer than five people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to perform for five people. Mm -hmm. But it was very helpful to have someone in my life like Sarah, mm -hmm. who could like go back to the car with me and be like, yeah, that wasn't great. <laughs> here's, here's what you could have done better. What could you do differently? Right. Having someone in your life who you can trust to be that person is right. really helpful. All right, Hank, we have another question from Cassie who writes, Dear John and Hank, I know it's natural for children to ask questions, but when I became a parent, I was not prepared to hear the same question repeated <laughs> over and over <laughs> oh, again. Oh, God. My almost four-year-old daughter asks me 10 to 15 times a day if I am hungry. Why? <laughs> Is it normal? For the first month or so, I was very patient with it, but it's been oh, like gosh. four months of this, and I will lose my mind if she keeps it up. How do I coax her out of this phase? I don't know, Cassie. Oh, no, I was really hoping you knew, because Orin has one right now, which is, what street are we on? Oh. What street is this? <laughs> Still Orin Street, buddy. This one, and if we don't answer him, he just keeps asking. Yeah. He gets that different streets are different, because if we turn him to a new one, he's like, what street is this? <laughs> and we tell him, and then, he, and then he's like, satisfied, but only for 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, I, I do think, I mean, at least from my own experience, I am not a parenting expert. It's developmentally normal. Both my kids did that. And yeah. it was it was challenging at times. I will say this. It's nice when they're little and they ask you questions that you can answer <laughs> and that you know yeah. how to answer. Yes. Instead of when they get older and they ask you questions where you're like, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't I don't really know what causes wind. <laughs> why is there wind? I know how, I know why wind works. I know about how wind works, but like you 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 explain it in broad terms mm. and then they ask a, a specific question and I'm like I thought I, I guess we could call Uncle Hank. Yeah, molecules. It's molecules. They get warmer cuz of the sun and then th things happen. <laughs> Events <Okay>. occur. <laughs> And so what we tried to do a lot of times was to like respond with respond to the question with a question. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody says like, well, mommy, are you hungry? And you say, do you think I'm hungry? Oh, yeah. Now you're thinking. We got to make the kids think. Yeah. Because what this is, 
I mean, if I'm going off my own self, is yeah. it one of those sort of like mental ruts that you get stuck in? One of the behaviors that occurs when nothing else is going on. And of course, the quintessential one now is you pick up your phone. And so instead of picking up her phone, your daughter is asking you if you're hungry because nothing else is going on in that moment. So maybe try and create something else that is going on in that moment, which is hard when you're in the car seat and on a street and you're just like, it's still Orange Street, buddy. Right. But also hard at any time because my job is not just to entertain a child 24 hours a day, but for several hours a day, absolutely. Parenting is a tremendous and extremely strange adventure. Mm -hmm. Child brains are super weird and wonderful and terrifying and everything. All right, John, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I have a comment uh, in regards to a previous episode. It comes from Morgan, who writes, Dear Hank and John, I was listening to a previous episode of The Pod in which Hank talked about how when he finishes puzzles, he puts them back in the box. Is this something that people actually do? I grew up with a sister who was a puzzle enthusiast, and every time she finished one, she would glue it together with Mod Podge, which is a liquid adhesive, maybe they don't have that in other places, and then add them to a pile of completed puzzles in the basement. Are you saying that isn't proper puzzle protocol? (laughs) Have I been duped? Yes! Well, there's more than one proper puzzle protocol. You can do puzzle however you would like to. Yes, but I think that if you do the Mod Podge, you end up with a completed jigsaw puzzle that realistically you never look at again. Pretty much. Unless. Unless. <laughs> <laughs> when we were kids, there was a puzzle yep. that we looked at throughout our entire childhood that was. The Muppets. The Muppets. Yeah. That was Mod Podged. Yeah, and it f- was hung up on the wall. And it was hung up on the wall. And that, I think. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, get it in a frame, display it, okay. But I'm a big fan, actually, of finishing the puzzle. Oh, yeah. Looking at the completed puzzle, thinking I did it, Yep. and then taking apart the puzzle. I love taking apart the puzzle! It's my favorite part! Yeah, well, because part of what, for me, the the pleasure of a puzzle is the coming together and falling apart. The doing of the puzzle. But also, in some ways, the undoing of it, because Uh it's an acknowledgement that, like, this is is how systems, this is what systems return to. Right, yeah. And also that, like, it is so much easier, like, infinitely, immediately easier to destroy than to create. So much easier. random is every state... Unrandom is one state. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable sitting here in a hotel room thinking about like that this is the one state of not disordered. And, you know, given time, it will all become complete disorder again. Well, and also to, to be inside of a human life with consciousness mm-hmm. requires... Consciousness is the ultimate order. It's yeah, wild. It requires such a level of order. <clears throat> so do whatever you want to with your puzzles, though. John, what's the news from AFC Wimbledon? Well, AFC Wimbledon played Portsmouth. Portsmouth's an interesting uh, club. They were in the Premier League within the last, I think, 10 years. And then they dropped all the way down to League Two. And they almost dropped out of the Football League. Mm -hmm. And... In a lot of ways, AFC Wimbledon was an important model for them because it was a very similar situation, although not with the same level of disaster that happened to Wimbledon, where the Portsmouth fans ended up having to buy the club and run the club as a fan community. And and in that process, they were really inspired by Wimbledon. Now they are back up to League One. 
and uh, significantly better than us. They have a good stadium. They have a large fan base. And uh, they won the game. (laughs) (laughs) So they won two to one. It was an interesting game. We deserved to lose. And so it was appropriate that we did. There were moments where we played well. Joe Pickett scored a really good goal. um, And it was good to see him scoring. The other thing that happened in the game is that Scott Wagstaff, returning from injury, got a red card in very weird circumstances. He came on as a substitute in like the 60th minute or so, almost immediately got a yellow card. And then just like 15 minutes later, got another yellow card and got sent off. And both looked deserved to me. So that was a little frustrating. And in general, like our our form has just not been very good. Um, we now have had had only one point from our last three games, which is worrisome. And uh, the franchise playing its trade in Milton Keynes has gone above us on uh, one point above us. So we are now um, teetering on the brink of the relegation zone, just one spot away from the relegation zone with um about 21 games left in the league one season so long way to go long way to go it's been another difficult season the truth is it's going to be difficult to be in league one until we're in the new stadium and maybe even after that because it is really really hard for a club that uh is the size of wimbledon that's owned by its fans and Mm -hmm. so doesn't have deep pockets to compete year after year in League One. So hopefully we can find a way. We've found a way every year so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll see. Well, in this week's Mars news, John, one of the big mysteries in Mars is where all the water went. There's about 10% of what we think Mars used to have left on the planet in the form of mostly water ice on the planet, but there's also some ice crystals in, in the atmosphere. There's a little bit of water vapor in the atmosphere. And we know that roughly that Mars's water went to space. So the water gets pushed up in the upper upper atmosphere somehow, and then it gets decomposed into hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen then gets blown off into interstellar space by the solar winds. So that's that's a rough idea. But it seems like it's happening faster than we expected. And the mechanism of that, according to a paper that was just published in Science, uh, using data from the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter, which is just up there, designed to detect trace gases. And what they found is that when we had this planet-wide dust storm, that was big news. I remember. Yes, it was very sad news. They had this planet-wide dust storm, and that allowed the atmosphere to warm up. And as it got closer to the sun and heated up even more the atmosphere was able to hold more water vapor at higher altitudes and a lot of that water vapor was probably also sucked up by the dust storm and got higher up and that water vapor wasn't able to condense into droplets so it remained gaseous and that allowed it to be broken down into hydrogen oxygen and and sent off so the dust storms have in part been uh, seem like they might be part of the process for how the water leaves the planet and as there were more dust storms more water left and more water left there were more dust storms that kind of thing oh weird i've never heard of one of those disturbing (laughs) meteorological (laughs) cycles that we can't fix once they start yeah oh god that's terrifying yeah we'll be okay what if 90 percent of our water flies off well that's first of all that's like a billion year long process second we are protected by solar winds by our magnetic field so one of the main things we have to do is not let the internal dynamo of Earth shut down so that we maintain our magnetic field. And that, good news, is something we have no control over at all. Could it happen? Probably not anytime soon. It will eventually happen. Great. But we'll probably be dead by then. I mean, like, humans. 
not okay. just us. Okay, great. So if the amount of water on Mars is merely going down over time, mm-hmm. will it eventually get to zero? Probably not because Mars isn't geologically active. So there will be water that gets locked up beneath the planet's surface that oh. has no way of getting out. Okay, okay. So I don't need to be that worried that we're going to lose all the water no. before we can get there and drink that sweet, sweet, salty grossness. <laughs> no. Probably tastes like crab hard candy. Probably worse. But I don't know if that's possible. Wouldn't it kill me? It would definitely kill you. Good to know. Unless you did a little work on it. You get to do some chemistry on it first. Well, I mean, if you put me on Mars tomorrow, I would not be ready to do that. <laughs> That's why we're keeping you here with your earthbound soul. (laughs) Well, Hank, thank you uh, for potting with me. It has been a pleasure. And thanks to everybody for listening. You can submit questions to us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We love your questions. We are very sorry about all the ones that we don't answer. There are so many wonderful questions every week we don't answer. It's not personal. (laughs) It's just that we uh, get distracted talking about the apocalypse. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our producers are Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.